Lord is his voice to his people, his church. And uh, I appreciate the encouraging words uh, from Pastor Stephen for Nancy and me. And, um, you know, some people have told us they're praying the house doesn't sell. I'm thinking those that want it to sell even more quickly so we're out of here. You probably don't say that out loud, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, uh, and I'll, I'll just say here, and it, it ties in, too, even with the sense of what the passage is about that we're going to look at, is that um, uh, Nancy and I thank the Lord for uh, so many ways that this church has been ministering to us and continues to minister uh, to us. And certainly with uh, the circumstances for our church right now, uh, and Nancy and I, we're just two servants. Uh, we've seen other servants, the Lord, move on to other places. Uh, for instance, Mark and Yvonne uh, moving on to a pastorate at Thurman. Uh, the uh, church is in a search for a, a new couple to oversee the ministry center. We've had others go, but we've also seen others uh, come into the area who know the Lord and want to serve and are considering does the Lord want them to serve here. Churches change. We go through these seasons. Sometimes they're seasons of stability and uh, building up, and then other times there could be those seasons of change. And, and our souls can almost feel a little bit like an upheaval. Um, it can throw us off balance. We have to see what the Lord is doing. And I think our church is going through a, a time of transition and change, and I think we should be self-aware of that and be praying for the Lord's hand of grace to uh, be working uh, with us. And the passage uh, that kept stirring in my heart and mind is at the end of Romans. I had uh, Pastor Stephen read from Romans uh, 12 because in that passage, after going through these amazing, wonderful doctrines and teachings and truths and promises of the sovereign grace of God reaching sinners, then Paul says, therefore, therefore, you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And he takes them through that. And don't think more highly than you ought to. He doesn't say don't think of yourself at all. He says just not more highly than you ought to think. You're wondering, well, how do I know if I'm thinking too highly of myself? I promise you the Holy Spirit will let you know. Jesus will make an appointment with you, and suddenly the light will go on. But he says just don't think more highly. But then he explains how valuable the Lord's people are to the unity of the church. We'll celebrate that tonight at the bread and the cup. That uh, we will celebrate as we take part in the bread and the cup that we are unified in Christ. And then he goes on talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, where the Spirit gives special, unusual empowerment to each believer in some way that makes their ministry especially effective. That when we watch it, who are not gifted that way, we learn it. For instance, I'll watch people who are gifted in mercy. They amaze, it amazes me as I watch how the Lord uses them. But if I watch, I'll learn how to show mercy by those that are gifted in it. And on it goes. And then he talks about just the regular ways in that chapter of how we walk with Christ, no matter how we're gifted by the Spirit of God. And so he's taking us as Romans unfolding here that from these great doctrines of grace come a great body of believers. And as he's starting to wrap up the letter, he gets very personal about his own ministry as well as the people who are very dear to him. And so we're going to look at Romans, uh, the end of Romans 15, starting at verse 30, on into the first 16 verses of chapter 16. And we might look at it and, and say, well, these are just kind of the greetings to wrap it up. No, it's much more than that, as we'll see. And a lot of times when I preach, I, I go through a passage and then I give some ideas um, at the end of how we might apply it. But I actually up front want to say some uh, thoughts here on what we should be looking for here. I think that will help us. As I mentioned, our church, I think, is going through change and transition um, Nancy and I had a chance to spend time with a missionary couple that's now at home assignment. We have uh, some new people coming. Uh, we had a chance to talk with one couple that are wondering what transition the Lord has going on in their lives. And 
a lot of that is happening, and that's one reason we want to look at a passage like this. I think it'll help us. I think also this passage is going to be helpful to give us a realistic view of Paul's ministry and how it worked. He was not a super Christian lone ranger who did it all. If you skip the greetings and the comments he makes personally, you miss how his ministry worked. Several times he mentioned the people that were so vital for his encouragement. Trophimus, Tychicus, Titus, uh, Epaphroditus, Timothy. He says these people were crucial for my comfort, for my encouragement. I waited for them to arrive so that they could encourage me and tell me how the believers were doing. I believe also a passage like this, and I hope to explain, keep my mind straight here, on why I see this passage designed by the Spirit of God through Paul's heart to energize, motivate, and recruit those who are mere spectators turning them into dedicated workers. If you come and you get your Sunday sermon and then life goes on and you say you belong to Christ, the Lord wants to take you out of the audience and into action. He wants to move you into action. That's the design. That's what Romans 12 is about. Therefore, if you say, I have been reached by the amazing, sovereign grace of God bringing me to Christ, that he has turned you from a hardened rebel headed to hell into a precious treasure, a son or daughter of his headed home to heaven to be with Jesus. And now your service begins for the one who's redeemed you. Also, I think this passage is important to see wider opportunities for service that we might not think of, but also to encourage and refresh those who are, who are serving in a variety of ways that they see before them. And so I'm hoping that's going to give some encouragement to some of you who may think, well, what I'm doing is not that important. And I hope to show you from the scriptures where Paul's going to say, oh, that's not how the Lord sees it. I also think this passage is important to dispel what I call romantic notions that the early Christians didn't need to plan or communicate or organize their ministries. They were so filled with the Spirit, everything just kind of happened organically. They probably didn't even have to do announcements. Let me explain something. When you read the New Testament, you will find that they did announce things. Paul said, here's what's going on. He would send out a messenger. Please bring back word of what's going on in that ministry so I know how to pray, how I, how I can plan a visit. When Paul was going places, word was sent ahead. We have to get rid of this nostalgic notion that uh, the early Christians, everything just kind of automatically happened. They didn't have to organize. They didn't have to plan. They didn't have to... Uh, figure out how to do things. No, they did a lot of planning, and uh, it took a lot of work, but in order for the ministry to go forward, it wasn't just automatic. Also, I think there's some encouragement here for those who share a household or a life with unbelievers. We're going to see that come up. And also, I think we're going to realize that missionaries need more than just money. In fact, there's so many things they need beyond money. So we'll see some of that as this unfolds. And just a note here, we're going to see, as, uh, and I'm using the New King James Version. I don't know what the ESV has, but um, chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister. The word commend is the same word from Romans 5 eight. God commends or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I believe as Paul is writing this passage, he starts off with the word commend to say this, I want to display to you these following people. I want to display them to you. I want to commend you to them and them to you. And also, we will notice 
in this list, once we get into chapter 16, I'm sure the people there were using the word of God and preaching the gospel. But he has a very strong stress here upon relationships, opportunities, and types of service. Then one more note, and then we'll get into the passage. When he says the word greet like a dozen times, uh, greet wasn't like give them a high five and a fist bump. Um, They did have a greeting, kind of an informal, official, one-to-one greeting. It was called the holy kiss. They would kiss each other on the cheek, uh, maybe men with men, women with women. It was just considered the, uh, the greeting, the hello, the handshake of their culture. But the word greet here actually means embrace. And he wasn't talking about a hug, could be, but he was talking about embracing the person, drawing close to the person. In Hebrews 11, it says the Old Testament believers greeted or embraced the promises of the coming Messiah from afar. They they embraced it. They were looking forward to it. And I believe what Paul is saying here is here are some people you need to draw close to. And I want you all to who know the Lord and have walked with him, think about it. Have you ever had it happen one way or the other where either you were talking something about life and ministry, walking with Christ, and somebody said to you, you know what, you need to meet so-and-so and talk with them. Or maybe you were talking with somebody and you were listening to them and then you said to them, you need to meet so-and-so. I'll bet a lot of you have had that happen. Either it was said to you or you said it to somebody else. And it's part of how the Holy Spirit recruits and builds us up and connects us to other believers, which we need to embrace in our lives. So we're going to look at the passage here and uh, see and, and looking for this, the many ways and the many opportunities for serving our Savior. So we're going to Romans 15, starting at verse 30, and then on into chapter 16. As I mentioned, I'm reading from the New King James, but I think it'll be uh, close enough and similar because of the simplicity of the language that you'll be able to follow along whatever version you have. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia, or Asia, to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet Azencritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, 
Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. If you have other ways to pronounce those names, please let me know, but I think it's up for grabs. Okay. Well, what do we see here? For this deeper partnership for this time of service and for these many opportunities. And I will start with this. You will notice several times the statement in Christ and in the Lord, and we start with embracing Christ. We start with embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul mentions that several times. All our service flows out of our relationship with Christ. Now, if you listen to missionaries, if you get to know them well enough and can have those one-to-one conversations, and, um, and if you've been involved in special ministry for the Lord, even full-time way, you know, and they know, and they've shared, you can get so busy and getting so much of an adrenaline rush from being busy that the service is no longer flowing out of a walk with Christ and a joy in him, that the work becomes an idol. And Paul stresses here as a reminder, our ministry flows out of our walk with Christ. You can be plenty busy and have lost connection with the head. And he warns about that. And that's why Paul speaks so deeply about his own relationship to Christ, reminding himself, I haven't arrived yet. I want to press on for that upward call. I want to press on looking forward to seeing my Savior. I want to continue to grow in his grace. So that's just a very important reminder right up front as we serve Christ. Remember, it all flows out of walking with him. We all can run into this problem It can happen to any of us as we get busy. And some of you might be afraid of getting too busy because you're afraid I'll lose that that sense of Christ's presence. But Christ assures us we actually experience his presence in wonderful ways as we minister to others. But all our ministry flows out of embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, holding close to him. Just an important reminder there. The second way for this very valuable way of uh, making sure that as we serve Christ and that we keep building this deep partnership with one another is the prayer support. It is a vital priority. Look at chapter 15 again, verses 30 through 33. Listen to how Paul speaks about this. I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He wants protection. He wants his service in Jerusalem to be acceptable. He wants to be able to arrive in joy. He wants to be able to find refreshment. It was not just automatic. Hey, Paul's coming. Everything will be fine. He faced real struggles at times. There were misunderstandings at times. Sometimes the leaders had to work out thorny issues. It was not always automatic. He said, we need prayer. Paul stresses that. And he uses an interesting word here, strive together. And um, it it sounds like this, uh, soon agonizo, agony. And soon, like we say, synthesis, like when things are put together. He uses a word here, which means agonize together in prayer for me. Um, when I have figured out how the sovereign hand of God and his unchangeable plan works together with my prayer life, when I get that answer, I'll explain it to you. I haven't got it yet. I just know what his word says. And Paul, who just finished up Romans 11, talking about the glories of a sovereign God who rules, says, I want you to agonize in prayer with me. Prayer is hard work at times. Uh, 
And he says together. So he isn't talking about individual prayer. He's talking about when believers get together to pray. This is why we stress again and again and again and again Wednesday when we meet together for prayer. It's so vital. And those moments where two or three are gathered together and praying and wrestling in prayer, Paul is saying it is hard work and I want you to agonize in prayer for what needs to be done for the gospel. Oftentimes, and we should, we pray for physical needs. Pastor Stephen mentioned about praying that our house sells. It's in God's hands. But what about the agonizing in prayer for more of the lost to be saved in our area? What about the agonizing in prayer for the breakthrough in the person's life who's been straying from the Lord? What about agonizing in prayer for the new opportunities for ministry? Paul says that prayer support is vital. And that's a very important element for our ongoing ministry for Christ, a vital priority, agonizing together in prayer. And some of you think, well, it's hard for me to pray out loud. Any of us who know the Lord, we had to learn how to pray out loud. You didn't automatically know that when you came to Christ. It was brand new. And I learned so much about prayer by being around godly men and women and listening to them pray. They taught me how to pray. They taught me what was important in prayer. They taught me what to pray for and who needed prayer. And dive in and learn what it's about. Paul says it's vital for the ministry. Well, now we get into chapter 16 here, and we'll just start looking at these opportunities. And it's interesting to note here that nine of the people mentioned here are women in this list. The women played a key role in the spread of the gospel. And it's interesting that Paul, who is regularly charged at different times, he did not like women, which is just this empty charge of people that don't like the idea of submission and headship. Paul starts his list commending and displaying a godly woman on a special mission. Phoebe, a special helper for those in need. So let's take a look at that. Verse 1. I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she's been a helper of many and of myself also. Now, the word helper, it's only used here in the New Testament. It can mean someone who protects. It can mean a patron. You know, like they talk about a patron of the arts, someone who contributes to the arts, or a sponsor. Some of you maybe have been in a situation where somebody sponsored you, um, sponsored you to, to get your college education, something along that. It's a pretty broad word. In some ways, she was a very special helper. Likely, she is the carrier of the letter because she's introduced first. And she's going to be arriving. Uh, Tertius is the one who's recording the letter, but Phoebe is the one who is delivering the letter. She's known as a devoted servant in her own church in Sancria. And uh, the word here, servant, uh, could be an official title of a particular role, but it could also simply be she was so well recognized as a trustworthy servant that she may not have held an official office, but she held the unofficial office of known as a trustworthy servant to whom you can entrust many responsibilities. Travel in the Roman Empire um, was difficult. There weren't many motels like we know of. The inns had a bad reputation. Usually you had to stay with a friend or a friend of a friend, and you brought a letter of commendation if they didn't know you personally. And so... Phoebe knows how to travel the Roman Empire. Um, she possibly was a businesswoman. She apparently had resources because she is mentioned as one who's coming to them. No husband is mentioned. 
It's most likely if she was married, Paul would have mentioned it because he mentions other husbands and wives. But this woman, this single woman, who has resources, who knows how to travel the Roman Empire, and has been a trusted servant, is entrusted with this letter, and she has been a helper to Paul, and she's been a helper to many different people. We don't know what she did at times, perhaps, to protect, but people who get deeply involved in helping others, a lot of times they keep it under the radar. Sometimes there's sensitive situations that have to be guarded. We do that here at times, and we have missionaries who come and speak. There's times we turn off the microphone for the recording because they have to report to us what's happening in a sensitive area of ministry, and there's people they have to protect. Yes, we trust God's sovereign grace, and part of his sovereign grace is we protect fellow believers. So some way she is perhaps a protector. She's a sister, a helper, and uh, assistant, and a helper, and Paul says, she has helped me. She has helped many people. And then he says this, when she comes, help her, and this is New King James, in whatever business she has need of. And the word business is where we get the word pragmatic. It means practical, pragmatically, what does she need? He says, when Phoebe arrives, find out, practically speaking, what does she need? need and get her what she needs it's very interesting uh years ago i heard a story about uh, a christian uh professor at a, a christian college who at times would speak in churches and he he goes to a church to speak on a sunday morning and after the morning service one of the men says you know when you pulled up i looked at your car and i checked the tires you need new tires on your car are you staying overnight? See, I'm staying with the family overnight, and then I head back. He says, well, Monday morning, you go with me down to the tire shop. I'm buying you a new set of tires. It was a practical need that a man in the church met right at that moment for that speaker. And that's the kind of way he is speaking here. When she comes, find out practically what she needs because she carries on an important ministry. She has the resources. She has the mobility. You know what? Not everybody here has those resources, has the mobility, but some of you do. Some of you do. And he says it is such a vital part of the ministry. If you have the flexibility, the mobility, the resources, the opportunities, you can do much to help other believers. And so then he goes on here, and he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. And let's go to verses 3 and 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. This uh, husband and wife team is mentioned six times in the New Testament. Three of those times, Priscilla is mentioned before her husband, which is really unusual in the culture. And it could very well be that uh, she was well recognized in some way in which she was particularly gifted and effective. And uh, just a word here. First of all, generally, men marry up anyhow, okay? It might take us 15, 20 years to figure that out, but generally we marry up. And I know there's a lot of wives giving a husband an elbow right now, but... um, Just a word here to any of our husbands where you see numerous abilities in your wife. This is that opportunity like Priscilla of being able to be used by the Lord. And they worked as a husband and wife team. There were many different tensions Paul faced with workers at different times. Do you know not once does he have anything of a tension he mentions with Priscilla and Aquila? This couple was a great blessing in his life. And here is this married couple who are risking their necks at times to help Paul. He's in a dangerous situation and they're ready to help him. And also, it says that uh, where they are now in Rome, they're hosting a church in their own home. 
I'm going to challenge our husbands and wives here. Count the cost. Consider the calling. There may be a husband and wife couple here that you might be in that place in life where you can be used by the Lord even in a most difficult of situations. That place where you can be used to encourage the fellow believers. And think also of how your home can be hosting believers. You know, lifting up believers in your home for refreshment, renewal, comfort, even counsel is such a vital part of the local church's life. So thinking of Phoebe, thinking of Priscilla and Aquila, is there a single person here? Is there a married couple here? Is there a special call on your life that it's time to answer? We go to verse 5, Eponidas, very interesting Likewise, the second part of verse 5, pardon me, greet my beloved Eponidas, who's the first fruits in Asia to Christ. Beloved is the term Paul uses. Now, I obviously loved all the believers, but beloved was their close friendship word. Paul said, this man is a close friend of mine. And apparently, he was the first one he led to Christ in Asia. Paul made, uh, kept contact with Eponidas no doubt discipling him because he's maintained a relationship and then Eponidas turns in to one of Paul's closest friends. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, you think of it, you lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, you build them up in the faith, you see them along, and then that day comes, they are like one of your closest friends encouraging you along. And that's how Paul saw that. From convert to disciple to closest of friends. Do not, and this will come up again, do not underestimate, underestimate the value of your close friendship with a fellow believer. That close friendship with a fellow believer is so vital for them to spot when they're in danger, to break isolation, to come alongside, to give them encouragement. He goes on here, some other opportunities for service, what I call the exhausted workers, verses 6 and 12. Look at verse 6, greet Mary who labored much for us. Verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. Now, verse 6, greet, labor, greet Mary who labored much in the Lord. Verse 12, the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord, those are past tense. So this little grammar thing is important here. He is speaking about how they served, Persis and Mary, how they served in the past. They were known of how they exhausted themselves. That's what the word means, labored much. They exhausted themselves for the work of Christ. But he puts it as past tense meaning that maybe now due to circumstances, maybe due to age, maybe due to health, maybe due to resources, maybe due to all of those, they're no longer active at that level. But Paul says, don't forget the foundation they laid. One of our own dear men here in the church in his 90s did so much to lay a foundation for a lot of what this ministry has done. Paul says, don't forget that. We stand on their shoulders. Now, Tryphena and Tryphosa, verse 12, are very interesting. New King James says, who have labored in the Lord. I don't know what tense it is, but actually, it literally is, who are laboring ongoing. And Tryphena and Tryphosa, they, some speculate they might have been twin sisters. Their names mean delicate and dainty. Well, I'll tell you what, delicate and dainty work up a sweat and the mascara is running because they are working hard. They are working hard in the Lord. And Paul says, I want you to embrace these ladies. I want you to draw close to them because they are laboring hard, just like Mary and Persis did in the past. They're laboring away. Not everybody has the same level of strength or freedom of movement or even stamina. Some of you face physical limitations. So I want you to listen for the part that's for you. But others of you, you have the strength, you have the stamina, you have the resources, 
You have the opportunity to give much. And he says, these are crucial people. The ones who are working hard, who seem to carry that extra load and they do it with joy. They are the exhausted workers, past and present, who keep the ministry going. Andronicus and Junia, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Andronicus and Junia, another married couple, they apparently, husband and wife, were in jail at some point. Now, we don't know if they were in jail at the same time and place as Paul was, but Paul says they're fellow prisoners. They have firsthand knowledge of prison ministry. They've been there. One commentator says he almost wondered, and you can almost see the smile on the page as he writes, he almost wonders if they were in jail because Paul, before he was converted, got them arrested. Who knows? It's marvelous when you hear the stories of past enemies of the gospel coming to Christ and then blessing the very ones they used to persecute. And I remember, and I'll probably mangle the story, but I think, uh, Ed, you were telling us at one time when you were in Egypt and you met a man, you were at a conference over there, and what did he say? Something like, if I would met you a couple years earlier, I would have killed you? Yes. (laughs) So timing is so important when you show up, okay? (laughs) Timing, timing is so important. Otherwise, you'd be ministering to a widow. And uh, so Ed showed up after the man was saved. That's a good thing. So, although, it wouldn't have been bad to be with Jesus, but nonetheless. Okay, so, marvelous stories of those who've come to Christ. But we don't know that about Andronicus and Junia. But we do know this. They were fellow prisoners. They knew what it was like to suffer when they're serving. They stood with Paul. And it says they were well noted among the apostles. They knew Christ before Paul did and likely... Paul is giving a hint here, and this is, again, where it gets into communication and storytelling and knowing who people are. Paul comes to know the Lord, and as he's getting to know the apostles, he finds out something. There's, There's this married couple that every time an apostle runs into this married couple, they're doing something to help the work of God and advance the good news of Jesus Christ. They are of note In other words, the apostles are noting and taking recognition of this married couple and how they're being used by the Lord. There may be times where your service is going to call for suffering. And there may be times where the service and call to suffering is because you are deeply involved to help the leaders around you. Those in ministry full-time, missionaries go through this, elders go through this, pastors, deacons at times. When you're involved in a leadership type of role, there's times where there can be a great spiritual battle. And then you find out who's willing to stand with you at the cost of their own reputation, at the cost of their own acceptance. They will stand with that leader and not abandon them. And this is Andronicus and Junia. They knew what it was like to serve even at the cost of suffering. We go into also, dear friends and partners. I've kind of referenced this a little. Look at verse 9. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Oh, pardon me, verse 8. Greet, pardon me, verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. He mentions uh, the fellow worker Urbanus and that's all he says he's my fellow worker but why there were lots of fellow workers why does he mention this I believe Paul is wanting to draw attention to this there are times you will find this person whatever is going on they're ready to pitch in they're willing to help with whatever the work is they pitch in they're not a leader Uh, They're not making the big decisions. Maybe they don't have the resources, but they see something going on. They want to pitch in and help. And Paul said, this marked this man. He was always there ready to help as a fellow worker. What can I do? 
And the others, again, close friends, beloved and close friends who kept Paul going. Verse 10, Apelles, I call him the emerging leader, 10a. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. We don't know in what way he was approved. The word means tested and past inspection, refined like gold or silver. Where do leaders come from? They don't come from just some kind of natural ability. Churches make this mistake. Some guy runs a big company. Well, he'd probably be a good elder. Well, he might, but he might not. Leaders are shaped for spiritual ministry that is crucial and is a real battle for souls standing at the edge of eternity. It doesn't have to do with talent in business. It has to do with a calling by the Spirit of God. Leaders emerge after being tested and refined. I knew a couple one time, and um, they, they stood... Um, with their pastor during a tough time, and boy, they went through a battle. And then they said, from this point on, we're just going to sit in the back of the church and not do anything. I said, oh, no, you're not. (laughs) I said, you didn't go through that for nothing. That's how the Lord emerges leaders. He takes them through refining. He takes them through hard times, and they come out on the other side strengthened in the grace of Christ. Apelles was the emerging leader. And I'm going to ask here, there might be someone here, you've gone through a time of testing and refinement, you have had to learn new responsibilities, and it's time now to be ready for the Lord's next assignment. Do you know the best missionaries are the ones who've learned to serve in their local churches where they were tested, examined, approved, They learned how to work under authority, how to solve problems, how to have setbacks and recover, how to work with leaders, how to work with people of different gifts and perspective. Missionaries get their best training in their local church. They've studied this and found this to be true. The effective missionaries, where did you learn this? I learned it in my church. The emerging leader. Finally, verse 11, household mission fields. And I know my time is going, but bear with me. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. That's all it says. Herodian was a believer, and he was a relative of Paul. He's mentioned alone. Greet those who are of the household of narcissists who are in the Lord. And, um, oh, pardon, let's see here. Pardon me, Verse end of verse 10. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Now, a few things here. Apparently, he says, greet the whole household of Aristobulus. But Aristobulus isn't called a believer. This is interesting. He would have said something about Aristobulus being in the Lord. Apparently, this man, his whole household are believers. But he isn't. This guy, if he's married, his wife's a believer. If he has kids, they're believers. His slaves are believers. He's surrounded by believers. And he says, I want you to greet the believers there in that household. I want Aristobulus to see life among believers. Herodian, apparently isolated, Paul's relative, a believer in Christ, and maybe Herodian has no one else. We've met like people like that over the years. I'm sure Pastor Ed has. I'm sure Stephen has. That over the years you meet people, they're the sole believer in their circle of relatives. And they need to be embraced. And then Narcissus, some of those were believers. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. That's why we can make that distinction. He says, there are some who are believers in the household of Narcissus. Make sure you greet them. Why does he say that? They need the encouragement as they live in that setting, that they walk with the Lord, that they be encouraged, they not feel isolated. Watch over them. We come to verses 13 and 14, and I call this the greater family. Rufus and his mother. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. And it's a very interesting statement. Now, Why is chosen in the Lord? Why aren't all the believers chosen in the Lord? Well, they are. Who's Rufus? Well, Mark, who wrote his gospel from Rome in later years, 
referred to Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus. He was pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross of our Lord Jesus when Jesus was stumbling, could no longer carry the cross. Simon is called out, and Mark says he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. It's almost like Mark saying, if you want to check this out, you know Rufus, it's his dad. So why does Paul say chosen in the Lord? It's a very subtle little lesson here. What is Rufus's claim to fame? Well, my dad carried the cross of Jesus. That'd be pretty awesome. And Paul says, no, you know what his claim to fame is? Jesus has saved him. A word here for those that come from... uh, family background. Sometimes we even, and I don't mean it's a critical way, but we'll, we're in an area with Camp of the Woods and when people say, oh, like I'm fourth generation Camp of the Woods, I'm third generation Camp of the Woods. Well, that's great. But what is your life with the Lord Jesus? doesn't matter what grandpa's life was or mom and dad's life. What's your life with the Lord Jesus? That's the greater family connection. And then he goes on and his mother doesn't even name her, but greets, greet his mother and mine. And it's, the wording means Rufus's ma, mom was like a mom to Paul. Now I want you to hear this one. There's many different ways we can serve the Lord. My best friend in high school, Dave Smith, Christian family, uh, his older brother, my older brother were friends. Going to Glen Park Baptist Church, Dave and I become good friends. We'd walk to school together and the whole thing. That was back when kids walked to school. It was uphill, uphill both ways. And um, some of you know that joke. Other apparently don't. So anyhow, so Dave and I were friends. I was not in a Christian family. And so um, I was saved at 11, was going to church regularly. And then when I was 17, our church had given an invitation of people making decisions in some way in their walk with Christ or knowing Christ. They give an invitation at the end of the service. I went forward one Sunday morning, and I told Pastor Troyer, I want to be baptized. Now, six years have gone by since I came to Christ, but the Spirit of God just kept working on me. After church, Lois Smith, Dave's mom, comes up to me and she says, Greg, I have been praying for years that you would get baptized. I've been praying for years that you would get baptized. I was kind of like, wow. I mean, that was like kind of cool. We head off to college and whatever. I'm back serving the church, and Nancy and I are working with the college career group, and we announce our engagement. Lois Smith comes up to me. Greg, I have prayed for years that you would only marry a Christian girl. And boy, did she pray well. I'm talking about marrying up. Anyhow, so Lois and her husband Howard had adopted me into their hearts. We actually knew of another family at Glen Park Baptist Church where there was a man who came to Christ and from a family of horribly dysfunctional, I think they even disowned him. He had nobody, his name was, his name was Chuck. And they took him in and they ended up, and he, he was in his 30s, they legally adopted him and gave him their last name. Paul said, this woman has adopted me like I'm her son. This is the Apostle Paul, the super apostle, you know? No, this is Paul saying, this woman has been like a mom to me. Do not underestimate what it is like and the value of when you adopt somebody into your life to care for them, to lift them up. So crucial of that bigger field. Well... We just wrap up here, the discipleship circles, verse 14. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas. How about if I just say etc.? Okay. And it says, the brethren who are with them. Now, these apparently weren't churches because Paul would have said the church that meets in their homes or something. He lists apparently leaders who have disciples gathered around them. There are different times believers gather. So you'll hear about a police precinct where the Christian officers get together for Bible study. You'll hear about a, uh, perhaps a uh, Bible club at a, a, a high school or something like that. And um, there are times where you might have an opportunity in a certain setting to gather believers around you and disciple them and care for them 
and build them up. And Paul said, greet those people who know how to gather disciples around them to encourage them and build them up. When I was coming up here this morning and getting ready to preach, I was thinking of our church family. And as we were singing, I thought of it too. There's some of you that are going through a tough time in life right now. And even so tough, you're like, I don't, I don't know what I can do right now in my setting to serve the Lord. But I'm hoping from this passage, you see that, that the opportunities are so unusual and broad and amazing. Ask the Lord, Lord, what can I do? And he will answer and he will show you. There are 30, over 30 one another commands in the New Testament. People say, well, I do church online. No, you listen to sermons online. You can listen to Christian music online. You can't do church online. We need one another. We are involved in one another's lives. That's how church happens. It is a one another bond of so many different one another commands. We'll celebrate that tonight with the bread and the cup. And I finally want to give a challenge here. For any of you, if you've had that mindset, well, I could sit and take in my sermon. I've got my own life. If you know Christ, it's time to embrace the servants of the Lord you see serving around you. This church wouldn't be here without those servants. It's time for you to embrace them and say, Lord, I want to move from being an audience member to a servant bearing fruit for you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is rich and amazing. These relationships are astounding. And Paul Paul desperately depended upon these workers, these teams of people. Lord, during these days, we ask, pour out your gracious blessing upon us, your people. Work and move in our church in a mighty way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.